Welcome to the Power Hour, Episode 8, recorded live on September 8th, 2021. The Power Hour is brought to you by Chelan County Beauty, building a brighter future. Today, we're joined by Terry Anderson, WSU Master Gardener and gracious lead of the Riverfront Park Zarek Garden for the past dozen years. He answers your questions on water-wise gardening and eco-lawns, green alternatives to your thirsty turf that uses less water and needs much less maintenance. Join us live on Facebook and simultaneously on YouTube each month, or on this Power Hour podcast whenever you'd like to listen in as Chelan County Energy's specialists and local experts like Terry answer all your questions on creating a beautiful, lush, and water-wise yard, energy efficiency, and reducing your electric and water bills. Subscribe to the Power Hour and never miss an episode. I'm your host, Lacey Stockton. Let's dive in. Hi, Terry. How are you? Good morning. I'm well, thank you. Yeah, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your expertise. My pleasure. So tell me, before we dive in, just a hair about the Master Gardener program, if you will. It's a, an extension of WSU, and it's statewide. Uh, we are, I am a Chelan Douglas County Extension Master Gardener, and our purpose is to be educated in horticulture, sustainable horticulture, and then being able to pass that knowledge on to others. And so that's our goal. So when I see you out and about, bothering you with questions is actually part of the gig. Yes? Absolutely. I would much okay. be rather, <laughs> rather have, I'd rather have people asking me questions than me pulling weeds. Okay, great. <laughs> I think everyone would, would, would appreciate that. So if you are listening, folks, Terry is here and he's answering any questions you have about outdoor gardening, particularly water-wise. So Xeriscape is the technique that he and other master gardeners are using at the Riverfront Demonstration Garden, which is right along the Columbia River there in Wenatchee. You might have gone by and seen the beautiful wildflowers that are there. That is your work. So thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's a pretty big inspiration. At least it is for me when I try to create my drought tolerant yard. Um, If you have questions, drop them into the chat in either Facebook or YouTube. We can see them and Terry will answer those. I did want to start off with probably the most common question that at least our team gets about being water-wise outside, and that is what to do about yards. So we we received an email from Richard. He lives up in Manson, pretty close to the lake, and he said, you know, my yard this year was torched (laughs) from all of the heat, and he has to replant. He didn't want to put any pesticides or chemicals on his lawn because He's so close to the lake. He was thinking about maybe switching from his, you know, probably the Kentucky bluegrass that most people associate with what a lawn is to maybe micro clover or an alternative lawn. What do you think, Terry? Well, I'm going to start out with why consider alternate turf. And this is from an article uh, fellow master gardener Bonnie Orr did back in April last year. And part of what she started out was there are 50 million acres of turf grass in the United States. It is the largest irrigated crop in the country. This popular grass monoculture requires vast amounts of care. It must be fertilized three times a year. Pre-emergent herbicides are suggested to prevent the growth of broadleaf plants. An inch of water a week is necessary in the spring and late summer two inches during the heat of the summer 
and that must be mown, mown almost every week. So with our worldwide concerns about potable water and regional concerns about aquifers and water tables, perhaps uh, alternate grasses are something to consider. And, can I uh, can I interrupt you? So I'm actually curious sure. about this. So one thing we hear is people saying, well, you know, I have irrigation water, so eh, whatever. Like I can just keep my sprinkler on my neighbor. Actually, I watch them on their acre property move their sprinkler around and it goes 24-7 onto a lawn. Uh, why should they consider an alternative for their yard? Because the water uh, actually once you've watered your lawn, it then goes down into the water table. And in most lawns, uh, as a, a Kentucky bluegrass or rye or creeping bent, uh, you've put fertilizer on it to make it lush like a golf course. Uh, you have sprayed it with herbicides uh, to, uh, to take care of the weeds that come in. And so while you're watering it prolifically, uh, you're putting all of those chemicals in down through the system back into the water table. And if you have runoff, it's just going off down the street and into the drain and then has to be processed. So uh, even though you have tons of water, maybe there's a better way. Sure, there's a whole system at play here, I think. And where the water comes from is one portion of it. Um, I'm sure the irrigation district would be very happy if they didn't have to uh, pump nearly as much water as they do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, where all that water goes and what it's taking with it is another consideration for sure. Okay, so let's go back to Richard's question. What alternative lawns should he consider? Uh, there are several. Uh, narrowing it down, and this really gets into a, um, a challenge based on personal preference. Uh, most people love the idea of having the golf course, Kentucky Blue, and uh, to come up with a, an alternative grass is necessarily not going to look as pretty as that. It will still be green. Uh, it will still, in some cases, need to be mowed. Uh, it depends upon the type of grass you put in. Uh, a few years ago, uh, our urban horticulturist, Paula Dinius, uh, did some test plots up at the tree fruit research station where we have our community education garden. And uh, she came up with three that basically, uh, and excuse me while I read, but uh, the alternatives to Kentucky blue, perennial rye and uh, creeping bent, uh, those are all high maintenance and not very drought tolerant grasses. So there's a fine fescue and a tall turf type fescue that seems best suited around here for alternatives. Uh, they look more like traditional lawns, but require anywhere from a one third to one half less water and less fertilizer. Uh, the fine fescues, uh, the positives are uh, low fertility needs, slow growing, and they are shade or sun tolerant and, uh, and very drought tolerant. The negatives is that if uh, they are overwatered, which people tend to do, uh, they are more prone to uh, diseases, fungal type diseases, and they have a lower wear tolerance. Uh, the tall turf type fescues is a coarser texture, 
less maintenance, more drought tolerant, and deeper rooted. Uh, they, uh, there's drought avoidance, there's very wear tolerant and disease resistant. The negatives. And is this, is this the kind, so I actually uh, put in some Ecolon is, and you had a look at it. Is this turf style the, the type that I have or is it the uh, finer type? Yours is neither of these two. Oh, this is a different one. So, okay. Uh, Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so, and the negatives uh, of the the tall turf is that it has a coarse leaf texture, which really doesn't mean that much unless you're for some reason trying to put a golf ball on it or something. Uh, so, those are the two that Paula came up with that worked very well here. Um, there was another one and it gets into uh, a clover type process. And uh, it's a blend of turf grasses mixed with other low growing plants. Uh, there's a mix of micro clover, uh, dwarf perennial ryegrass and fine fescues. And the clover is a natural nitrogen fixer. And so it actually puts fertilizer nitrogen back into the lawn so it cuts down your your need for fertilizing to next to nothing uh, the only negative with this is that you cannot apply weed and feed because it would kill the clovers or the broadleafs and uh, uh, it's, um, it's it's very heat and drought tolerant uh, so those are the three that were kind of coming to the surface Okay, and Jen, who is part of the Master Gardener program, actually is put a couple of links here on Facebook. I will copy these over to our YouTube page in case you're tuning in there, but these are a couple of um, great resources for alternative lawns um, that I'll fill out there. Thanks, Jen. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. <laughs> cool. That's great. So it sounds like there's these three options. Um, I wanted to show people, I actually took out my camera uh, this morning because we we changed our lawn from the traditional lawn to eco lawn which ours was made by wildflower company um, we just found it online it's worked out well for us I don't I, I haven't tested all the different kinds but I will actually just show you what it looks like so this is what my eco lawn looks like you can see that this is the end of its growing cycle. We haven't actually mowed it since the beginning of summer, like late spring. And it just sort of like lays down and has this funky meadow look. It's super soft and cushy. But there's actually dew on it right now, but even in the hottest days, you could kind of like dig down to the base and it would still actually be moist, even though we only water it about once every other Okay, so that was it. I think the the sound was pretty horrible. Um, I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna add it to the stream here and mute it. But you can see that it's quite long. We keep ours a lot longer, um, just because the longer it is, the less you have to water it. Um, so this is at the end of the season. We're about ready to mow it. We do that about twice a year. Um, people can mow it more frequently so that it is a little bit shorter and more manageable but you have to water it more often. We only water this guy, which is established. We planted it two years ago. We water it every two to three weeks. That's it, including during the heat waves and the whole thing. 
two to three times a week. We mow it twice a year. Again, you could kind of change that if you wanted to. And we take the weed eater out and we cut off the seeds when they appear in early summer, late spring. Um, but that's what our eco lawn looks like after it's been established. I also have a video if you're curious about what it looks like in year one when it's sort of in this awkward like juvenile stage. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think the like adolescent anything looks a little bit awkward, whether it's chickens or lawn. Um, it looks a little bit strange, but it's definitely not, as you said, Terry, it's definitely not like what you would see in a golf course or, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not super tidy. It could be a lot tidier than what we have though. Well, it gets uh, into personal preference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. So I can show you if you're interested in my sad juvenile lawn. So uh, we did, <laughs> we did two years ago, we did one part to test it out. And then last year we liked it enough. So we, did this lawn here. So this is what Eco Lawn looks like. We planted this um, just last year. The other part we did two years ago, so it's firmly established. And you can see that we got some... So we have a fair amount of weeds. Our uh, feral arugula loves to attack our lawn. Um, we hand pull those. We hand pull those, but even in year one, it's looking pretty good. It's looking better than I think our lawn would have looked if we would have tried to keep it alive this last summer. So this is after one year of planting. Next year, this guy should look like what I showed before, which is that lush kind of like folded over meadow looking uh, darker green lawn. Is there anything that you wanted else that you wanted to say for Richard here? I mean, in his particular case, living so close to the lake, is there one of the three that you would recommend over the others? I was going to say the alternative is uh, another alternative is to not have a lawn. Uh, <laughs> one, a, uh, uh, one of the instructors in one of the classes I was in said, so if the only time that you walk on your lawn is when you're mowing it, do you really need it? So food for thought. Um, as far as uh, I'm, I'm not familiar with, I've, the, uh, the mixed clovers and so on, other than the test plots I've seen. Uh, and I, I think we're still a bit in the infancy stage around north central Washington. Uh, I, uh, there, there is more data coming out. Uh, if people want to get more information, I would go into a search engine and put in like WSU and uh, lawn or turf alternatives or micro uh, clovers or, or, or something. Uh, there is a lot of information out there. Uh, some of the information I got into was more pertinent to, uh, I would say like uh, East or uh, Western Washington where they get a lot more moisture. So our climate is significantly different. So. If you're looking at information, be sure it's pertinent to our area. Yeah, that brings up another question that we often get. So there's actually one here and people are looking for what are some local services or local resources that you could direct people to where they might be able to find out more information about this? I would contact uh, the Master Gardener office. I'm, I'm not familiar with the local services that do this. Uh, there are uh, a plethora of, of landscapers, but how many of them are actually up to speed on 
lawn alternatives, I don't know. Uh, perhaps somebody in the uh, Master Gardener Association would have better information on that. Okay, cool. So maybe if Jen's still on, she can drop a few resources in there. That's great. Okay, I'm going to slide on over. People were curious about um, Ecolon, if it's pet friendly. Um, <laughs> Pam was saying that she basically has a bunch of tiny cows living in her house with her pets that go out and eat all of the lawn. Do you know if these varieties are a-okay for pets to nibble on? I am not aware. My biggest concern would be that somebody went out and applied either a, uh, a pesticide and the pets got into that, but I don't know the answer to that really. Okay, yeah, that's fair. And you're right, some of the things that we apply to our lawn so it's lush and green are worse than the actual lawn itself. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is an important one, I think, just related to um, alternative turf is what should someone know before they were to plant an alternative turf or any sort of kind of large covering of their garden like this? I think soil, uh, that's the base of your entire garden, uh, is getting a, an analysis of your soil, having it tested to find out what is in the ground. Uh, once you have that information, they, that will then tell you whether you need to add uh, organic material to it or if you need to uh, add some kind of a, an amendment to it. But that's that's number one is getting your soil tested. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and Jen is coming in for the win. <laughs> so she's saying that the master gardeners have a plan in insect clinicians who can be reached via email if they have questions um, about alternative lawns and other things that we're chatting about today. So thanks, Jen. Yeah, and I will second that what you're saying regarding uh, really prepping your soil. We had, you know, when we, before we laid down our seed, because there is no sod alternative that I've found, like where you could just roll out some Ecolon. I'm pretty sure all of it you have to do from seed. So before we did that, we had different quality soil and we put some compost down, not as much. When we did round two this last year, we definitely put way more compost down than in the first year because we really noticed when it started growing in and how thick it was and how quickly it grew and and really um, spread it was totally a function of how good that underlying lawn bed was that was it that was the biggest difference not sun or wind or any of these other factors it was is the soil good yep. that, that is your base yeah okay cool um I think that's it for Ecolon. I don't know if we can um, do any of the different brands or things like that, uh, but if you have questions about specific varieties, I would probably ask some of our master gardeners about you know, how you intend to use it and if it's a good fit. And it sounds like you guys are also thinking about perhaps doing a little bit of an Ecolon training or a alternative turf training perhaps later in the year or next year, which would be amazing. I think there's a, a lot of, uh, especially after this summer, uh, people's lawns look pretty terrible uh, because of the heat. <laughs> no the judgment. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I, I think people are going to want to know more about lawn care. And so perhaps a, a class uh, to uh, address, even if they're going to stay with their, their uh, standard Kentucky blue, uh, is watering, fertilizing, uh, thatching, so on. There's, there's so many facets to it. 
Uh, a lawn is a uh, uh, it's a piece of ground that you put a lot of money into, so you want to keep it nice also. Yeah, you're right. I mean, lawns aren't low maintenance. So you had mentioned about, um, you know, some hardscaping. I believe we had a question about that that came in. So Melanie had asked, like, isn't Xeriscape just basically a lot of hardscape? And hardscape is a fancy word for non-growing material. <laughs> so your pavers or your gravel or things like that, that that would be considered hardscape. So what 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 is Xeriscape exactly? Well, first off, it is not zero-scape. It is not okay. just uh, landscape fabric, rocks, and maybe a cactus or two. Uh, zero-scape is it's, uh, using appropriate uh, plants, natives, and uh, adapted plants, drought-tolerant, and watered according to their needs. So, uh, it, again, uh, the, the Zurich Garden down on the riverfront is a shining example of uh, what you can have low water usage and yet something that uh, the plants uh, we have something blooming pretty well from the spring bulbs coming up uh, in like March and there's something blooming in that garden until the killing frost so uh, it is not zero scape it is zero scape it is using less water and uh, less fertilizer and less maintenance too there's a lot of good reasons as to why you want to incorporate uh, uh, Xeriscape. Uh, less water, number one, uh, mm -hmm. uh, probably 50% of residential water uh, is used for landscape. Of that amount, 70% goes to lawns. Uh, we use less chemicals. Uh, native plants uh, are, uh, uh, they, they attract beneficial insects. And so uh, you don't have to use uh, insecticides in the Zurich Garden. We use zero insecticides, and yet we have no problem uh, with the, uh, the chewing insects that come in and tear things up. We have enough uh, uh, plants that attract uh, beneficial insects and pollinators. In fact, in that garden, uh, there is something like over about 110 variety of plants of that 59 variety are uh, pollinator or beneficial insect attractors. Uh, so we don't use any insecticides on that. Uh, less water. So how, much, how much, um, sorry to interrupt, but nope. you know, you're talking about how you've sort of planned the riverfront garden. That's again, just down on the riverfront trail in Wenatchee next to the Columbia River. So there was a lot of planning that went in. And then there's also maintenance, although it doesn't involve chemicals or things like that. How how hard was that project and how much time really goes into making it? Because it is stunning year round. Doesn't matter. Well, not in winter, <laughs> but, you know, for so many months of the year, it's this beautiful demonstration garden. How is it, what magic is going on there? As far as maintenance, uh, it really is, and that's the nice thing about Xeriscape too, is it's low maintenance. Uh, we spend uh, over a 35 week period during the growing season. Uh, we spend about, on the average, probably seven to eight hours a week in the garden. Uh, and uh, as far as the, the maintenance is limited to uh, deadheading, uh, we uh, we don't have much weeding 
that's courtesy of the mulch. In fact, we'll get into a mulch conversation a little later on, but uh, we don't have that much weed to pull. Uh, we are continually, the plants continue to spread and grow. And so we do digging, dividing. We're taking plants from uh, uh, very heavy areas to less dense areas and also trying to spread out color also. But it's not labor intensive, it really isn't. Okay, so it's doable. So Very. how big would you recommend um, that someone start with? I, I believe we had a question like this come in. Yeah, there it is. Jeremy is saying like, how should my, how big should I go for my first Sarascape garden? What's reasonable for that first year? We suggest that you start out small, try a one small section of your garden first and uh, when I say small, the Zurich Garden is about 6,000 square feet. So it's about the size of a small city lot. But uh, for the average homeowner, I would start out with just <clears throat> one flower bed and uh, work on that. Do your research. The, the, the key to the seven steps to, uh, uh, let me get my paper on that, the seven steps of Zeroscape. And I can also drop a link. We we included these on our water conservation portion of the Schlamp Beauty website. And I can also add some more of the resources that you're sending our way to that awesome. page. And it'll it'll have those too. Yep. The, the first part of the seven steps is plan and design. So before you even do a, a, a spade of dirt, you want to do some planning, designing, uh, I would suggest going and looking at, in this case, the Zurich Garden on the river, or there are other demonstration gardens around also. Uh, we have one up at the uh, Tree Fruit Research Station uh, on Western and uh, Springwater, and uh, there are several different kinds of gardens there. So you can go and get ideas uh, and, and work on that. And then that incorporates your plant selection. So. Uh, from there, um, you just you work into it slowly. I've seen some people try and go in and do their entire yard, and they get so frustrated that they just say, "To heck with it! I'll just put in rocks." Don't do that, folks. No. Don't do no. it. No. <laughs> so have a staged approach. Start small and then gradually go over. So we yes. have a question here that just came in from Rachel. She's asking about what elements you recommend testing in the soil to prepare grounds for an eco-friendly lawn. So <clears throat> phosphorus, nitrogen, what other things should we be looking for for that healthy lawn bed? If you go to a, a soil testing place, they will give you a complete analysis of what is in your soil. And they will then also recommend uh, what you need to balance it off. So that you come up with a growable surface okay so basically you get get the full spectrum and see what they're coming coming back with and then you can with those tests then you can see what you need what kind of amendments you would need to add to the soil to right. correct it right. okay okay great thank you mm -hmm. okay um here's a question that was totally different this is a little bit related to the hardscape question but Maria was thinking about adding a water feature to her garden, but one of her friends said that it wasted a lot of water. 
Um, but she was also thinking, well, maybe that's worth it if it's helping birds and insects. What, what are your thoughts around having water features like ponds or fountains or other things like that? Evaporation, uh, they're going to evaporate. I, at home, I have a small bird bath. And uh, so there's water there for the birds, but I fill that up uh, every day. Uh, it's, I probably put in an, at least another gallon to two gallons of water. So that's just a small surface. Consider if you had a big pond, how much water is actually going up into the air. It's, uh, and there are a lot of maintenance on them also. So I'm not real wild on water features. They're pretty, I love them, but. They sound great. They do. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so maybe instead of a water feature, uh, just like a small bird bath, if you're interested in helping out the birds, um, but you'd have to water it, like keep it filled pretty much daily during summer. Yeah. And the question about insects, do they need water? Uh, especially there are uh, uh, mason bees that uh, actually use mud to shore up when they make their little nest in their the tubes. Uh, so if somebody wants to be pollinator friendly, uh, maybe have just a, a little spot in the garden that is moist enough so that the bees can get that mud and use that to pack the nest. Okay, great. We have a follow-up question from Richard. Um, he's asking if he can just overseed his current lawn, which sounds like it's not, it's a little bit burned from the heat over the summer, to transition it over to an alternative lawn. A good question. Uh, there was one person that I read about, uh, I think it was in the article that Bonnie Orr did last year. Uh, and this fellow did, uh, he went through and uh, uh, thatched his lawn three different times to tear out as much of the old stuff as possible. And then he reseeded with a, uh, a mix of uh, eco-friendly lawn. And he had mixed results in it. Uh, his suggestion at the end of his experiment was that he would have removed all of the existing grass before he started over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's all, it's hard to remove all of that existing lawn, but it gives you this opportunity to really get in and improve the soil, its structure, and like you said, test it and have the amendments done in a way that if you have an existing plant system there, it's a little bit tricky, I think, to make those improvements to the soil. So, yeah. Okay, great. Let's talk mulching. Uh, mulching, I think it should be Wenatchee and Chelan County's best friend. I feel like we don't necessarily use mulches as much as we should. What, what should we know about mulch? It's one of my favorite subjects. Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> in, uh, in the Zurich Garden, uh, we don't use any fabric, landscape fabric. Uh, we put down uh, anywhere from two to three inches of a wood chip product and uh, it, uh, it retains moisture, it keeps out weeds, uh, and it keeps the soil cooler. And uh, uh, as far as the weeds, before we put that down, uh, we were weeding, we were spending more time weeding than we were doing anything else, putting down the landscape fabric, uh, be putting down the mulch and thick, uh, we reduced our weeding by easily 80%. So I'm totally uh, uh, in favor of an organic type of mulch 
Uh, a lot of people use rock and it is functional. It's, it's attractive. The only negative with rock here is that uh, because of our heat, the, the rocks actually absorb that heat and then kind of transfer that to the plants and the roots. So I, I try to stay away from rocks. Okay. So what other organic materials besides the sort of chipped wood would you recommend as a mulch? Oh, there are several alternatives uh, you can get into. Some people use grass clippings. Uh, if you do that, uh, you want to let the grass clippings dry before you put it on there. Uh, if you have uh, used herbicide on your grass clippings, don't put that on your garden because the herbicide will attack your plants. Uh, there's a number of different ones you can get into. Uh, again, get into uh, WSU's uh, website and put in um, organic mulches and it'll come up with uh, a lot of alternatives and the pros and cons of them too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've tried using, like, I had some extra straw once. That was not great with the wind. Um, so having something that's a little bit denser, like the wood chips might have helped. <laughs> Um, how often do you, so Joe's asking, you know, what do you use and how often do you need to refresh it or maybe add a little bit more mulch, like if it breaks down and things like that? Uh, we are using a wood chip and uh, it's, we put it down three inches, try to add three, about three inches thick and we will replenish that probably every three years. It just seems to, it, it actually breaks down, becomes part of the soil over years. So uh, it, it is a little more expensive to do it that way, but it does, it, it just enhances the garden. It's become as part of the garden. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it saves your time, it sounds like, by not having to deal with all of these weeds or other issues that are going on. And, okay. and it's very attractive in most cases too. Okay, great. And, you know, if you are just joining us, uh, we, <laughs> we've just been chatting about alternative lawns and other water-wise alternatives for your garden with Terry Anderson. He is a master gardener with uh, the WSU Extension, and he has a ton of great resources that we're going to be posting, and I will make sure and include those in both the comments on YouTube and Facebook when we're done here. If you have any questions for Terry, he is here to support you in your water-wise journey. And also if you have questions about saving water inside your home, I can field those questions um, about you know, what TSVs are for your shower and other questions that you might have on saving water, which also, if it's hot water, will help you save energy, which is a handy one. All right, Terry, we have another question for you. Um, so Sherry's asking, what's your recommended way to water gardens? Is it an in-ground irrigation system or is a drip hose fine? I mean, one of them you really have to dig up in the garden, but maybe it provides a little bit more control. What, what would you recommend for her? I prefer a drip system or a, a modified drip system, if you will, uh, a, a, a sprinkler system and we do have in the Zurich garden, it is an overhead sprinkler, they're pop-ups, uh, not our preference, but at the time, this goes back to uh, year 2000, 2001, uh, drip systems weren't really that prevalent and we had the existing system of pop-ups, so we use that. But the problem with that is it 
is spraying the entire garden. And sure, it's, it's getting moisture everywhere, but it's also, in a lot of cases, it's knocking down some of the taller plants or it's getting onto the blossoms and they deteriorate faster because of that. So my preference is a drip system and and I say a modified drip system where you have like the the main line, which is like maybe a three quarter inch or a half inch main line, and then you're running your spaghetti tube away from that to an emitter. Uh, in the case of the emitters, uh, they are okay if they're done correctly. I have seen so many instances where uh, people have. They put in a lovely little shrub, and at the time it's about so tall and about so big around, and they put one drip emitter to it on one side. And three years later, that plant now has a root system that big, and five years later that big, but they never changed the drip. It's still one single drip, and it's suffering. So if you're going to do that, if you're going to use like a little emitter around them, put them around them so that they are getting sufficient water adjust as the plant gets older. The other alternative is to use uh, a, um, uh, a device, uh, I call them a little twirly sprinklers. They're, uh, they actually are a miniature sprinkler that twirls around. Uh, you can see it working. Uh, you know how much water is going to the particular plants uh, and it doesn't have to be, it can be, you can adjust the height anywhere it's from just below the root system to higher up. And uh, uh, the good thing about that is you can see where the water's going on the emitters or on some of the, the, uh, the tubing that has holes in it. After a while, sometimes those emitters plug up and you don't know you've got a problem until you look out one day and your plant is dead. It's too late. Mm -hmm. So visibility is good. Yeah, okay. So this comes to uh, Jess's question. How do I know how much and how often to water each of your plants? You talked about one of the principles in Zarek Gardening is giving each plant the amount of water that it needs, not just blanketing your entire yard with, not just dousing it. So how do you know for each plant what, what works? Well, part of the seven steps of uh, getting your garden into a xeriscape garden is putting like plants together so they have the same water needs uh, you don't want to take a, a hydrangea and put a, a water system that'll take care of thirsty hydrangea and at the same time put in maybe a sulfur buckwheat next to it which is a very drought tolerant plant doesn't want a lot of water and will get wet feet so you want to put the same types of uh, plant requirements in the same bed. Uh, the, as to how much, when you put in, in drought tolerant plants, they are drought tolerant, yes. But the first year, two years, you want to give them more water so that they can establish a good root system. A lot of xeriscape plants uh, have very deep root systems and that's why they're drought tolerant because of the water's down below. And so uh, give them the first two years ample of water and then you can cut it back 
and you just kind of play it by ear. Uh, we just, we monitor our plants down there. Uh, and so uh, if it gets starting, and let's have an example, in the springtime, uh, when the water is first available, we're running it maybe three days a week for 10 minutes at a time. When it gets hotter, like June and July, we'll kick that up to four to five times a week and we'll kick it up to 15 minutes. And just recently we cut it back because our, our nighttime temperatures and daytime temperatures are actually cutting back. So we have, uh, we've adjusted. So you, it's something you just can't set and leave. You have to monitor it. Okay, so you gotta actually go out and enjoy your garden. <laughs> you Absolutely. can't. The, <laughs> you can't uh, just set it and forget it. The very best thing to have in your garden is you. Your you being there because you are going to see if there are problems and if things need to be addressed. Yeah, for sure. So here's one problem. I don't know if it's water wise or not, but people love tomatoes. And Mark is asking about how to grow tomatoes specifically here in Chelan County. The plants seem to be really big, but the tomatoes weren't really happening so much this year. What do you think was going on there? Uh, it was the summer. It was definitely the summer. <laughs> okay. Too uh, hot. It was too hot. Uh, I believe I, I heard that pollen, I don't know if it's just strictly on tomatoes, but pollen dries at like 85 degrees. And so there was not a lot of cross pollination going on. The bees could come in, they wouldn't be transferring to the plants. So that had a lot to do with lack of the number of uh, tomatoes. And then I've heard a lot of people had much smaller tomatoes when they did get some. So the weather was the biggest culprit. Wow, interesting. Yeah, oddly, I had um, one tomato that had grown on the corner of my yard uh, from some seed that, you know, must have fallen as I was going to a compost pile and it started sprouting and I have this sprawling, I left it, I have this sprawling tomato plant along the side of my garden that I did not plant and it has the best tomatoes out of all of the ones that I that I planted and I don't know if it's because it's just hugging the eco lawn and so maybe it's a little bit moisture or something there versus my other okay. tomatoes have been trellised okay. uh, but that little rogue rogue cherry tomato plant is is the only one that was really producing this year Maybe. well terry thank you so much um if anyone has any last minute questions for terry uh, please drop them into the chat. He is happy to answer those. And if not, I will go ahead and round up some of his preferred references um, and drop those into the chat so that you can see those. And it sounds like they can also contact and email your team of master gardeners or just harass you on the loop trail if you yes. happen to be out there doing maintenance. We're down there most every Wednesday morning. So please drop by. Love to give you a tour. Oh. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that, that is a question. Like, do you have scheduled tours of the Zarek Garden or is it just sort of drop on by and see what's there? I know that we have some brochures if people are interested and all the plants are well labeled. Um, but what, what would be your recommendation if people need a little inspiration? I would think if anybody wants to uh, uh, do a tour, like if maybe there's an organization or a garden club or something, uh, contact the, uh, the Master Gardener office and uh, we can put something together. Love to love to give them tours. Okay, cool. That's great. Well, Terry, I think that's it. That's a wrap. 
Uh, thank you so much for sharing and please keep in touch so that we can share any of the different courses or offerings or things like that that you come up with in the next year or two. Awesome. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Power Hour, Episode 8, recorded live on September 8th, 2021. We'll see you or your friends at 3 p.m. on Wednesday, October 20th for La Hora Poderosa, the Spanish-language Power Hour. My teammates, Griselda Gonzalez and Sergio Sanchez. Subscribe to this Power Hour podcast and you'll know when Episode 9 or the next English-language episode in November are ready for your listening pleasure. Visit chelanpud.org slash powerhour for more or email your questions to conservation at chelanpud.org. You can also listen anytime right here on the Power Hour podcast brought to you by Chelan County PUD, building a brighter future. I'm your host, Lacey Stockton, reminding you that fall is a fantastic time for alternative turf seeding and native plants. Have fun, Chelan County! <laughs>